Okay, let's go to James chapter number 5. There is a verse number 14 that I want to spend explaining to you because I've been all the way around it and I've beat at it a couple of times. And there's a phrase in there I want to address today. All right? And it is the one that you see toward the end of verse number 14. But the passage that we're going to study again, the same paragraph from verse 13 through verse 16, is this. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Today we're going to look at the end of verse number 14, where it says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Has that always been a curiosity to you? To a lot of people. We're going to talk about it today, okay? Heavenly Father, we need your help as we open up your word again. You're our teacher. Your word is made clear when the Holy Spirit explains it. And I pray, Lord, that all of us, as we sit at your feet, may learn today. And in response to that, be closer to you in our faith, in our walk, in our, in our love. So help us with this passage, especially today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. We've been examining these verses to see their part in what we call living faith. Right? That's been our topic, examining living faith. We want to know what that is, what it is that we're called to do. Because faith is not to be set up like a compartment of one's life, that you have a Sunday box, and that's where you keep your faith, and then you've got a Monday box, because that's what you've got to fill up with work, or home, or neighborhood, or something goes in Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't know if your life is like that, but some people operate as if everything related to Sunday, or faith, or righteousness, or whatever, goes in this one box that's brought out once a week. We talk about it, we put it back in this box, and then on Monday, it's a whole new game. Living faith is not that way. The faith we're called to is to be practiced how many days a week? Every single one, seven days a week, were to live our faith. Now, as we've been looking at this passage, we have noticed that an aspect of that faith is prayer. We cannot separate those two. Prayer is an act of faith. And it's necessary we walk through this carefully. As I've told you before, prayer is knowing that we are needy, Knowing we have to go to somebody else to meet that need. Knowing that God is able to meet that need. Asking Him to be willing to meet that need. And then trusting Him with the answer. That's the hard part. That's the faith 
part. I came across this quote just this last week. It says, ask God for anything, but let him judge as to the manner, measure, and timing of the giving. Let him judge when it's best to answer that need and how. That's hard. That's where we have to stop and wait. We have to say, okay, Lord, I trust you with the answer. You know, I have something I could tell you this. Based on his character, every answer he gives is perfect. All right? It is perfect. As a matter of fact, it's almost always more than what we ask or think. It's better, in most cases, than what we think the answer should be. I'm so glad he doesn't answer according to what I think it should be. I go up there and say, Lord, this is what I need, and this is how you can answer it. He modifies that to make it better. And I like that. I don't know if that helps you or not, but there's one thing in the whole aspect of trust, is that the Lord loves you. Doesn't he? And you are his child, and you are kept in the palm of his hand, and he keeps you secure there, and he provides for every single one of your needs. You're not going to get to heaven and say, wow, did that mess up. God knows what he's doing. That means we've got to trust him. That's an aspect of prayer. Prayer and faith are inseparable. You can't have one without the other, to tell the truth. And the kind of faith that we've been talking about here comes back to that thing I told you so many times, week after week after week. Be patient. Be patient. And strengthen your heart and don't complain. That we have been taught in this same chapter. And it all goes together. And so I repeat it, because I think we still need to learn it. We still need to have this living faith. And in this paragraph we're studying right now, prayer is the emphasis. And the prayer will test your faith every single time. It will. Because you're asking somebody, God, to do something that you can't do. It will test you every single time. Peter said this. First Peter 5, verse number 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves. That's a command, by the way. That's a very urgent command. <laughs> the way it comes across in the Greek. It's right now. Start right now. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Casting, what? All your cares upon Him. Casting. Matter of fact, humbling yourself and casting your cares upon him is an interesting combination. You humble yourself and you cast. Now, there's a way to say keep on doing it. Cast, 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 cast. The, the Greek could do that with the command, but it doesn't. It says, in the sense, throw it there and leave it there. You know what our problem is? Oh, you know it. We cast it there, and then we stick our finger on the corner and pull it back. And then tomorrow we cast it there, and then we pull it back. Then we cast it there when the text says, cast your care upon him, like once and for all. Toss it there. Throw it there. It's pretty intensive, by the way. Cast your care upon him, and there's a reason for that. Because 
She cares for you. He cares for you. He is always, always, always caring for you. That's trusting His character. That's called faith. You cast it there. You leave it there. You humbly wait for the Lord's response, just knowing all the while He's caring for you. And He hasn't stopped. See, prayer will test you every single time as to your faith in who it is that you trust. A righteous man will pray. Haven't we seen that in this passage? The effective, fervent prayer we say in verse 16 of a righteous man. A righteous man will pray. And he's righteous because of his relationship with God. That's primary to it. It's not very complicated here. It's simply, as we talked about last week, he's saved by the righteousness of Christ. That makes you righteous. In God's eyes, it's Jesus Christ that made you righteous, not you. You didn't make this up. You didn't cause this to happen. He did it. He's made you righteous through Jesus Christ, and you're called to live accordingly. We do what's right because we are right. That's what we've talked about so far. So a righteous man is going to pray because he trusts the God who saved him. But we struggle with that. Why? Why do we struggle with righteous living? Why do we struggle with with maintaining that mentality? I'm a righteous person in Christ. Why is that so hard for us? We live in an unrighteous world. Have you ever noticed it? Man, it's tough living in this world. It's a tough place to be. It's an unrighteous world. It operates according to the prince of the power of the air, and that's not a good thing. It's a place that breeds wickedness, unfaithfulness, unrighteousness, as ample as the weeds growing in your yard and your garden and every place else around here right now. We have, we have an abundance of those kind of things, and this world is like that. But even in that, we cannot blame our environment entirely upon our problem. We're pretty good at contributing to it ourselves. We are pretty good in our actions and in our attitudes and even in our wills as we carry about this lethal thing called the sin nature. It's supposed to be dead in us, but for some reason we walk according to it instead of walking with the Spirit. We're like soldiers who go into battle and leave the armor laying to the side. We go unprepared mentally. We go unprotected by our armor. We act as if the enemy is our friend. Is there any wonder why we struggle down here? That's a tough place to be. Have we forgotten the value of prayer? I think it's very good in the midst of all these things we're learning here that we keep bringing this up. Because Richard Newton said this years ago, and I love this quote, The principal cause of my leanness and unfruitfulness is owing to an unaccountable backwardness to pray. I can write or read or converse or hear with a ready heart, but prayer is more spiritual and inward than any of these, and the more spiritual any duty is, the more my carnal heart is apt to start from it. That means jump back, to run. And we do that. 
So I want to recommend something as we get started right now. You say, boy, this is a long prelude for this one. But it's important. First, acknowledge your privilege as a child of God. You have the privilege of prayer, right? That has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, that you can access God's throne to help in your time of need, right? It's there. You have full access. Live like it. Live like one who belongs to Him. Have your actions match your identity in Christ. If you are righteous through Christ, then pray like it. Pray with fervency. Pray with your heart. We talked about that as we even started today. To worship with all our heart. With all my heart. With all my heart. Pray that way. Because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Don't ever separate faith from that. It's very important that we link those two together. See, we need this kind of faith. We need it. In suffering? Yes. (laughs) In sickness? Yes. There are several of those mentions here in this very passage we're looking at. Matter of fact, there's another topic that's soon to be tackled here, and it has to do with verse number 15, and it has to do with one who has sinned as well. We've got some pretty tough things to do. But first, let's hit an oily topic. You ready? I did all that on purpose to talk about this. The question is, why didn't he put it in some fancy-looking bottle? Why didn't he get a, a very attractive bottle with a nice little cork on the top? You know, something like that. Maybe with a ribbon wrapped around it. Why, isn't, why does it look like something he just bought at the dollar store? Because that's where I got it, probably. <laughs> Olive oil. Olive oil. Is anyone among you sick, it says. Then he must call for the elders of the church. They have to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Somebody says, okay, what kind of oil is that? What kind of oil should we use? Vegetable oil? Motor oil? It all depends on the person. No. If you say olive oil, you say, well, that sounds biblical. Then which kind? Do I, do I want the uh, extra virgin, virgin olive oil? Does that matter? People say, oh, I just don't know. It's so complicated. How do I know if I'm going to pick the right one? If I'm going to do this verse, I've got to understand it. So let me walk through it with you so you know exactly what's happening here. This is the statement translated right out of the Greek. Someone or anyone is being feeble. That's our word for sick. It also means diseased in any sense. Feeble. He's weak. Literally, he has no strength. Anyone have no strength. Uh, It's very interesting because it could translate into anything where they have no strength. It's not just about whether or not you have the flu. 
All right? We use the word sick, but it's the idea of feeble. He is to call forth, he is to command the elders of the church, and they are to come and pray, and that's a command, upon him. That's the main statement. Then it follows with what we call a participial phrase. Ready? After greasing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I love that word. Because that always takes us back a little bit. What do you mean greasing him? Greasing him. Does that sound messy to you? Now you're going to wonder if I really want to go down this road. It's not, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything negative about your word, okay? It's not the word typically used for anoint. Anoint has, there's a Greek word for anoint. There is a word used to anoint a king or to anoint a priest. Put them, as you will, commission them for service. Uh, that is a different Greek word. This word means to grease, to oil. In the Old Testament, it's used to fatten, because you're applying a good measure of fat on top of them. Sounds kind of really messy. Uh, matter of fact, the idea is to lather it in, like massage it in with your hands. Uh, it's a very messy term. If we were to illustrate this today, we would have somebody come up here, and I wouldn't put a dab on them. I'd pour the whole bottle. And then a few of us would sit here and just kind of rub it all in and get them all gooey and greasy all over the place. That's the picture of the word. You like it so far? It's kind of interesting because it's not at all what we think people have been doing with this for years. This little dab, this little thing that they do. So always carrying this little bottle. Now, you need the gallon size for this one, really, to make it work like the word expresses. It's very messy. Okay, set that to the side. That's the action. You understand to grease them means to lather them up with it. Right? Set that to the side for a minute. Secondly, let's talk about the oil. It is Probably olive oil. All the references to Scripture points back to olive oil. All right? The, the Bible uses that term throughout, and it's a reference to oil, and that's what was abundant in where they lived. There was uh, olive trees, and they crushed the olives to get the oil, and that's what they lived by. It was the olive oil, and they were to take olive oil when somebody is feeble in any sense, they are to call for the elders who pray over them after they have taken olive oil and lathered him with it. Okay. What is the purpose of this? Historically, you ready for this? This is really cool. Olive oil was one of the most valuable contributions to one's life in the Bible setting. It was used as a luxury and a necessity. It was used in the kitchen to cook with. I've learned that over the years, and I've really enjoyed it. Fried eggs with olive oil. Try it. 
Tastes a whole lot different, and it's probably a lot better for you. You can use olive oil for a lot of things, but it burns quicker than some of the other oils. So you've got to be careful with it. You've got to watch it so you can't run it on real hot, hot temperatures. You've got to back it off a little bit. But I've noticed some wonderful things you could do with olive oil in the kitchen, and they did back then too. You can use it in the temple with some sacrifices. They mixed it in with some of the grain and things that they offered as a sacrifice. You could use it in the vanity. It was a cosmetic. It was also a perfume. You may say, well, that's an interesting fragrance, but olive oil was a perfume as well. It was used to consecrate kings. Yes, they did use this kind of oil too, but they did it in a different fashion. The word anoint is the word they'd use for it, but it would be the same oil that they would pull out and anoint a king or ordain a priest. And then you go and you pour it in your lamp and you light it at night so you could see in your house. It was the oil you used to burn at night. During the day when it was hot, it gave relief. In a sense, like a sunscreen. You put it on your skin and it gave you protection from the heat of the day. If you wanted to make a deal with the neighbor, you might use it as a bartering tool. I'll give you so many gallons or baths, as they would say, of olive oil in exchange for that. And it was used as monetary exchange item. It was used to honor your guests. If somebody came over to your house and you wanted to show them they were honored among you, you'd usually wash their feet. And guess what? You'd pour olive oil on their feet. You know what? That helped clean. That was a cleanser of sorts. But also at the same time, it gave a very soft texture to the skin. It was a nice thing to do. But it was a sense of honor. You've honored them by anointing their feet. And we have references to things like that in Scripture as well. So that was a way to say you're welcome in our house. As you can see, this olive oil had a lot of purposes. But probably the one that stood out the most was its medicinal value. It's medicinal value. Take the poor sheep of Psalm 23. You remember Psalm 23 pretty well, don't you? What did the shepherd do toward the end of that chapter, right around verse number 5? You set a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. You grease my head with oil. You say, well, why did he do that? Well, the sheep has spent the whole day walking through briars and thorns, and, and it's dry and dusty, and they're scratched up a little bit. And this was one way to give them relief. You'd bring in your sheep, and you'd pour the oil on them and kind of lather it into their, their wool, and it felt so much better because they had scratches on them. And it was used to make them feel better. Not only that, but it also cleansed them and protected them from infection. It provided a little bit of a a screen to protect them from infection. But also, in case you didn't know, insects like wool too. And those little insects would get inside there and they'd be very irritating. They'd aim for the ears and they'd aim for the nose and they'd work their way in there. And if you haven't noticed... Sheep's tails don't reach like a horse's. 
They can't swing it around there. They can't pop out their claws and scratch it off like a dog. So they were dependent upon somebody, and I love the way God made them this way. They were dependent upon somebody to lather them with oil to protect them from insects, irritants, scratches, wounds, all kinds of things. All with a little bit of oil. You have prepared the table before me in the presence of my enemy. You have anointed my head with oil. You literally lathered my head with oil. You intensely saturated my head with oil. I love the way the Hebrew reads there. Sheep like it. The Good Samaritan story. Do you remember that story? Let's go over there, just in case you need a refresher. Luke chapter number 10. Luke 10, starting in verse 30. It's a short passage here. It's about four verses long. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, the Levi also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him, and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Stop right there. Pouring oil and wine on them. Did they have doctors in the Bible? Yes! Who was Luke? He was a doctor. Perfect companion for Paul because he needed one. Everywhere he went, he needed a doctor. Luke was with him. But we know there were doctors. We know that the woman who for years had been caught up with her problem with bleeding, she had seen all the doctors, it said, and she had no relief. So there is references to doctors in Scripture. So we're not, we're not stepping outside of something that's foreign to us in that regard. Was the Samaritan a doctor? doesn't say he was. He was a traveler, but it doesn't say if he was a doctor or what he was. We don't know. But he brought relief to a man who was hurt. And what were his two tools he used? Oil and wine. To clean the wound, to give refreshment, to help. Now, if we take it into the modern equivalent, and just for a minute think this through. What can this do to heal a broken bone? Nothing. It doesn't heal broken bones. What can it do to help a mental disease? Well, it's poured on the head, right? No, it can't do that either. What can it do for fatigue? You know, most of the value of this when it comes to medicinal purposes is external. Because you pour it on somebody, right? 
doesn't say you pour it in somebody. You pour it on somebody. And we, are, we find it has other values too. But here's something I want to give you as a picture. And you know where I'm going to go once I start this picture. Sometimes we stress in conservative circles something is symbolic. We say it that way. For example, we baptize people, right? we got a tank right here. It's back behind here. We have a tank that we baptize people. Why? Do we believe that we baptize them to save them? No. We do not think that's true. It's a symbol. The baptism really is a symbol of the salvation and your identification of one who already belongs to the Lord. You're now making it public for people to see that. It's a symbol. It's a symbol. Even we use it for the fact that Jesus died and rose again. We use that symbol. All of that inside the concept of baptism. But water will not save you. Or else you were saved when you took a shower this morning. Water does not save. You see? We participate in a communion service here at this church as well, don't we? Do we believe that the bread becomes the actual body of Christ? No. Do we believe that the drink, the grape juice, or even if we had wine, actually becomes his blood? Real blood? No. It's a symbol. It's, a matter of fact, a remembrance of what has been done for us when he died, right? The bread is his body, broken for us. The wine is his blood, shed for us. The bread and the drink cannot forgive you. Right? When you sin, do you go eat a loaf of bread? No. It shouldn't be good for you to eat the whole loaf anyway. But you say, boy, what's that mean? Well, it's a reminder. Water is a reminder of baptism, of what Christ has done. Bread and drink, that's a reminder of what Christ has done. Things that are already true. Are you surprised if I say it's also true of oil? It's a reminder that we are praying for healing. Let me give you the picture. Olive oil cannot heal you. It cannot heal you. But it can remind you of something. Many, many, many years ago, my wife Kay and I were in a church, and we had a a lady in our church, young, young lady, um, came down with a terrible disease. I can't remember what it was, but it was one of those that was life-changing and eventually would cripple her up. And it was one of those things you couldn't do a thing about. And, and I can't remember the name of them anyway. But she came down with this terrible, terrible disease. And we started praying for her. We said, we'll be faithful to pray for you. And what my wife did was such a, a sweet thing, I thought, that she actually took olive oil and put it in a fancy little bottle. She put a little ribbon on it. She put a card with it and said, remember, we're praying for you. And she gave it to her. So that every time she came and saw that little bottle of oil, she remembered somebody was praying for her. And I said, what a sweet idea. I would have never thought of that. But that was a a concept that 
kind of caught my attention here. When you go to this context and then try to bring it into the modern circle, let me tell you a couple of things. I'm going to put it together. You ready? Your pastor is not a medical doctor. Surprise? Don't come to me with a broken leg. I can't heal you. I can't do all those things that Jeff or Dr. Provine or Brian could do. I'm not a medical doctor. I don't pretend to be one. And I really don't talk to you much about your medical needs anyway. I don't sit there and say, so what medicine are you taking? How often are you taking that? You know, I'm not going to get into that conversation. That's not my department. My department is to pray for you. And here's the picture. You ready for this? Because I think it's going to make sense. Suddenly, the light's going to pop. You ready? We pray, according to this text, after the medical attention has been given. The elders are called to pray after they have been lathered with oil. A simple thing to me. What am I doing? I will pray that the medication administered to you will be effective and will, you will be healed. You see the difference now? It's not that I believe the oil is going to save you. Any more than I believe that anything man can do can heal anybody. Because it's only the great physician who can do it. That's the issue of faith. I trust the Lord to bring about your healing. He has provided a wonderful world to live in with things that make you feel better, medications to help you through your problems, things like that. But we still have to have the faith to pray that it's effective. And only He can do it. Only He can do it. That's a reminder. Just a reminder of medical attention already given. The apostles in James' day were not medical doctors either. They knew that oil gave relief, and it might have been fitting for them to administer some relief before they prayed for the individual, but that's the principle. After medical attention, the application of medicine needs to be effective, and only the great physician could bring it about. So pray. That's why the emphasis all the way through here is on prayer, not on the oil. He doesn't say, and the oil will heal you. What's he say in the verse? Look at it. It starts in verse 15. It's so clear. We don't want to miss it. Where did I go? Okay. What's verse 15 start with? And the prayer offered in faith, not the oil offered in faith, will heal you. The prayer. That's the emphasis all the way through. That's taking it back to where we need to trust. We need to trust our God. Here's what A.T. Robertson said. I thought this was an excellent insight. The use of olive oil was one of the best remedial agencies known to the ancients. They used it internally and externally. Some physicians prescribe it today. It is clear both in Mark 6, verse 13, and here... That medicinal value is attached to the use of the oil and emphasis is placed upon the worth of prayer. There is nothing here of a pagan magic or of the latter practice of extreme unction after the 8th century. At bottom, in James, we have God 
and medicine. God and the doctor. And that is precisely where we are today. The best physicians, I love this, this is good. The best physicians believe in God and want the help of prayer. That was written some 60, 70 years ago. I add this. That we who pray for you seek the Lord to bring the cure. That is not superstition. That is just pure and simple faith. It's the prayer of faith. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's the context. It does make a difference. So, if you say, Pastor, I want the elders to come and pray for you. If we bring one of these, be ready. We're going to lather you down with it. But why are we going to do that? Just to remind you we were there. Just to remind you that the whole thing we've come for is to pray for you. And if that gives you relief, wonderful. But that's not what we're there for. We're there to pray for you because only the Lord gives ultimate relief. That's where it comes down to. And so, I don't carry this around with me. Alright? If you say, well, that's what I need. No, you need the Lord. You need the Lord. And trust Him with the answer. Because that's where we started, right? We are needy. We go to the one who can meet our need. And God is that one. And we ask Him to be willing to meet our need. And we trust Him with the answer. What if He doesn't heal you? then he's got a better plan. All right? He's got a better plan. And he doesn't need this to do it. Okay, you got it? That's the oil topic. There's a lot more yet in this passage to deal with. But that's where I wanted to hit us today, because we're called to live our faith. Live it, folks. Not just emphasize this gimmick or that gimmick or this gadget or that gadget, but faith in a God we pray to. That's our living faith. Heavenly Father, we need this help today. Because in our world, we put our emphasis on so many other things in you. We give too much emphasis to other things. As if that is the answer, that is the answer, that is the answer. And really, you are the answer. And we need to know that. And we need to walk according to that. So help us, Lord, that we not become superstitious kind of people. That we might not become dependent on gimmicks and gadgets and this thing and that thing. But it comes right back to square number one with us. We trust our God. Help us with that. We pray. Help us with that. And thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for giving us things that give us relief for our medical world today and all the wonders that comes with their ability to heal in the way that they administer their medications, their treatments and such. It's a fascinating day to live, but it's not one apart from you. Teach us to trust you, we pray, and walk by faith. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.